Hi guys. Uh, today we get to look at Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through 42. Welcome to Amen Bible Study. I'm glad to be a part for today because this is a tremendous passage. The passage can be held together by this simple title, Your Mission. And I can't even say those words without thinking of the old TV show and the multi-franchise movies, Mission Impossible. It all began, whether the TV show or the movies, with your mission, Mr. Phelps, should you decide to accept it, is, and then whatever the mission of the episode was, it got us all excited. And then that great theme song of I don't know if that came across at all or not, but I'm already pumped thinking about your mission. Why would anybody want to participate in the mission on an impossible mission force? You're going to get killed. You're going to get tortured. You're going to have a horrible time. Why would anybody want to be a Navy SEAL? Why would anybody want to be a Marine Green Beret? Why would anybody want to be a Ranger uh, in the Army? I mean, these are very dangerous things, and yet men have signed up for them throughout history. In the early 20th century, supposedly, an ad was placed in a London newspaper in the very early 20th century by um, Sir Edward uh, Shackleton. And Shackleton um, just said this. He was looking at an expedition to Antarctica, but he didn't want to tell everybody exactly what he was doing, so he just uh, placed this ad. Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful honor and recognition in event of success. Sir Ernest Shackleton placed that ad and hundreds of thousands of men supposedly volunteered, said they wanted to be part, even though it was very grim, but they all wanted to go. The Lewis and Clark expedition in the early 19th century of the United States history, a lot of guys went, even though it was very dangerous and they didn't know exactly what they would find. We kind of like danger. We need it in order to get excitement and in order to think that our lives are counting for something. And we're not going to rust out, but we might wear out. We might go down in a blaze of glory, but at least our lives will have counted for something. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are to participate in a mission that makes your life count for something, not just in time, but in eternity. So I want us to look today at the second of the great discourses of Matthew's gospel, five discourses kind of lay out this gospel for us. The, um, the first of those discourses was the Sermon on the Mount, giving us the royal law, having been introduced to the royal heir in chapters 1 through 4, and then the royal law in chapters 5 through 7, and now the royal mission in chapters 8 through 10, culminating in this great discourse that Jesus gives. I want us to look at it under six headings, and we will again um, read the the section, and then I'll give the heading and explain it briefly. All right, let's, uh, let's push on, but not without prayer. Father, um, even trying to tackle this whole chapter in one lesson is a little bit like Mission Impossible. So I pray that you would give us the help of your Holy Spirit, and that you would give us eyes and ears to hear in fresh ways as students of your Word and that you would give us energy to do as um, doers of your word, not just hearers of it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Our first heading uh, of your mission is who? Who are the missionaries on this mission? And in order to answer that question, we've got to not be blocked by the chapter divisions uh, of our English Bibles that weren't even added until the medieval period. Uh, I'm not knocking them. I'm really grateful for them. They help us find our way around through Scripture. However, they can get in the way of some very great nuggets of truth. And in understanding our mission, we need to understand who is on this mission. And we need to back up to chapter 9, verse 35, and then read through chapter 10, verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them. And then we're going to get into the instructions in just a moment. But before we find out about the instructions, uh, who, is, who are the missionaries? It begins with Jesus. And Jesus at the end of chapter 9, is giving us the classic problem of the one, the many, and the few. The one, the many, and the few. The one is Jesus himself. And how is Jesus described here? He's described as busy going throughout all the towns and villages of Israel. He is limited. He can't be in all of them at once. He has to go from place to place to place at time to time to time. He is very human, and as human, he has limitations. He's finite. So don't think that the Lord Jesus could just go everywhere. All It didn't have omnipresence. He was limited, and he was almost overwhelmed. He said when he saw the multitudes, he uh, was filled with compassion. He was nearly overwhelmed is um, the idea of, of what um, he's experiencing there. Um, he had compassion for them. He, his bowels were um, heaving for them. Of course, bowels are the seat of the emotion in a scriptural anthropology, and so he's very nearly overwhelmed. Uh, how about the many in this problem? Well, the many are clearly described here as harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And that phrase, like sheep without a shepherd, is familiar to us from Numbers 27, verse 17, where Moses prayed that God's people would never be like sheep without a shepherd. Moses knew that he wasn't going into the promised land with them, but he prayed that the Lord would raise up someone to go in before them so that they wouldn't be like sheep without a shepherd. In 1 Kings chapter um, 22, we also uh, hear from a prophet um, that Israel will be like um, sheep without a shepherd because their king will die in the battle that is coming up. It, it's a horrible thing to be like sheep without a shepherd, no one to care for them if you're very vulnerable as sheep are. And so that's the condition of the many, and Jesus could see them for exactly what they were. How about the few? Well, the problem with the few is, is that um, they uh, are um, ready to work. They're equipped to work. 
and they are um, willing to work. It's one thing to be able to work, and it's another thing to be willing to work. And there weren't many laborers for the harvest field who were trained to work and who were willing to work. And so because of the problem of the one, the many, and the few, we've got a problem with burnout. I remember the Rocky movies. I don't know why I'm in this movie mode here. But anyway, the Rocky movies were so great. The first one especially I love in the section where, you know, Rocky's just kind of flailing, just flailing wildly. He doesn't really, he can't box Apollo Creed. Good grief, the guy is a professional boxer. He's dancing around. He can do all of this. Rocky's just flailing until his friend reminds him of what he can do best. Go to the ribs, Rocky, go to the ribs. And all of a sudden, the music changes. Another great theme song there. And all of a sudden, you see Rocky making his punches land. He's going for the ribs, and he's pounding Apollo Creed, hitting him in the ribs, and he's really scoring points because he remembers hitting the slabs of beef at the uh, packing plant where he's just got, he could mangle those ribs. And that was what Rocky could do. He could go in there, he could take a punch, and he could deliver it to the ribs. And so that's kind of what we need to do. If we're going to overcome this problem of burnout, we're practically over. I'm just one person. What can I do? And the needs are huge. There are needs everywhere. And there are not many people willing to help or who are trained to help. So what can we do? All right. Well, Jesus answers that question. He says uh, in chapter 9, uh, verse 30, um, I'll pick it up with verse 32 or 37. Sorry. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus is working, and that's the first step of the problem. You and I can work. We can be one person, and we can volunteer. We can be all in, and we can work. And we can pray for workers as a second part of the solution to the problem of the one, the many, and the few. Lord, raise up more laborers for the harvest who are trained and willing. But then we can do the other thing that we will miss if we let the chapter division stop us. Chapter 10, verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And the names of the 12 apostles are these, and I've read them for you already. And if you can't remember them, maybe you need to hear what I heard from um, a young lady uh, back at the University of North Carolina who told me, oh yeah, those are easy to remember. It's called 52 Mab Street. What? 52 Mab Street. There are five of them that start with a J. There are two Judases and um, there, there are two P's, Peter and Philip. Uh, no, that's not it. We got to stay all of the J's. So two Judases, two Jameses, um, and, and, that'll, that'll, and then John. So there are five. Then two, there are two P's, Philip and Peter. And then Mab, M is Matthew, A is Andrew, B is Bartholomew, Street, S is Simon, and T is Thaddeus, or Thomas. No, not Thomas, not Thaddeus, Thomas. So 52 Mab Street. Now that's the Luke's version in Luke chapter 6. The names are a little different here in Matthew 10, but if you ever wanted to learn all 10 or all 12 apostles, you can get it. But they're called 12 disciples here, and we're given their names. Jesus was a worker himself, told him to pray for workers, and then he trained workers. And Jesus himself got involved in this training. And so these 12 Jesus sent out. He multiplied himself and sent them out after giving them these instructions. So who are the missionaries? First Jesus, then the 12, and not just the 12. We are those missionaries. We can be disciples 
we're all disciples. Now they, um, as we're told um, here in this very text, were apostles. And because of their apostleship, verse 2 of chapter 10, they have special authority. They are Jesus' commissioned officers who will remember all of his words and give us the New Testament. But we're his disciples, and it's the disciples of Jesus that go into mission. Not just this one, but in all of the ones that are to come. And this one is the primarily in view in, <clears throat> in the first verses up to verse 15 of chapter 10. But in verses 16 through 42, it's that greater mission that is in view that involves all of us as disciples of the Lord Jesus. So I call this chapter your mission because it's your mission as much as it was the mission of the 12 apostles at the beginning. All right, where is the second heading that we get to? And we see that in verse 5 and 6. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Focus. Go to the ribs, Rocky. You can't do everything. You're limited. You're, go. We're going to start with the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. We're going to start with the synagogue first, said Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys, and Paul and Silas on the second, and Paul and all of his missionary journeys. We go to a synagogue first, and then we take the message out from there to the Gentiles as well. And that's what Jesus was doing here. He was starting with the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel, but he was going to go also to the Gentiles and to the Samaritans, as the Great Commission will make clear. Does he saying that the Gentiles and the Samaritans aren't worth as much as the Jews? No, not at all. But he focuses in order to have a starting point. Perhaps you should ask, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus on mission for him, where, Lord, will I be most effective for you? Where do you want me to start? And think about the people with whom you work. Think about the people around whom you live. Think about the people you play with and your hobbies and your sports. And those are the places that you focus your efforts. You can't reach everybody in Memphis, but you can focus on those that God has put you in the midst of. So um, we, uh, we target, we target, we have a target, not to be exclusive and to rule anyone out of the good news uh, of the kingdom of God, but we target. Third heading. Um, it has to do not with the who or with the where, but with the what. The what. Um, verses 7 and 8. What is this mission? Should we decide to accept it? I want you to go and proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, well then give without pay. So what is this mission? It's a mission of speaking and of showing. I want you to speak this message. The kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist had that same message in chapter 3. Jesus began his ministry himself with that message in chapter 4. And now these 12 are being given that message as well. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. How so? Well, the kingdom of, the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew refers to it, is the rule of God over all things that is now inaugurated in the coming of the king. With Jesus being here with them, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not fulfilled yet, but it's inaugurated eschatology. It is the already, and then there is a not yet. And that we'll hear more about that in Matthew um, to come, and you've probably already heard more about that from other teachers along the way. 
So the what involves speaking of that message of the kingdom of heaven, but also involves showing. And now for these apostles, they can do amazing miracles that Jesus himself was doing, and they are allowed to do as well. But we can't do. Um, we're not given the power to heal the sick. Not, I mean, we are if we're doctors, but not instantaneously, immediately, such as Jesus could do, or Peter could do, or Paul could do. To raise the dead? Nope. To cleanse lepers? Nope. To cast out demons? Nope. You received without paying, now give without pay. You do those things because you're apostles of the Lord Jesus. The acts of the apostles will show they did the same miraculous works that Jesus did to commend them as Jesus's representatives to give us the New Testament. Um, but not for us. So what acts can we do? What's the showing that we do? Well, the showing that we do is good works. We're to be devoted to good works, according to Paul in Titus 2 at the end, verse 14 through 3, 14. Four different times, we must be devoted to good works. And Jesus, earlier in this gospel, in his first discourse, had said, let your light so shine before people that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. So that's our showing. Um, we come to how. But we're going to see how in two parts. Part one of the how of this mission refers to the means. And we see those means of carrying out this mission in verses 9 through 15. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts. Don't take a bag for your journey. Don't even take two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, Find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace rest upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town." How are we going to finance this mission? How are we going to eat? How, where are we going to sleep? Um, what are we going to wear? How are we going to do our laundry every day? What, Lord, help us. What are we supposed to do? And in this specific mission, Jesus is making it clear that we've got urgent things to do here. I want you to learn. I'm training you as my disciples. You've been around me a lot. Now I'm sending you out to multiply my ministry. And as I do, the means will not be more packing. Not more packing, verses 9 and 10. Don't take all these extra things. No, you're not going to need them. You're going to be, it's a quick mission. You're going to be on and out. And in, instead of packing, what you're going to do is you're going to partner. You're going to find people in each of these towns and villages who will support you, who will let you stay there, who will feed you. And they'll find out why you're there in my name. They'll see what you're able to do in these amazing miracles. And you're not going to take money for those miracles. But you will allow somebody to put you up. And so, um, trust me on this. So they learn to trust their Lord, and they need to learn that in this mission. That it's going to become an even more difficult mission, and even a harder mission, when he is no longer with them physically on this earth. There's another part to the how question, however. The how of in what manner are we going to do this? And in that manner question, uh, we need to see um, Jesus' answer very much there as well. It's uh, chapter 10, verses 16 through 31. How, Lord, not by what means are we going to accomplish this. We're not looking at the Ways and Means Committee, but in what manner? What, what should characterize us as we carry out this mission? 
Behold, verse 16, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We're given four characteristics of the missionaries of the Lord Jesus. In what number, in which number, I place you and me. For in, in, in sense of being those who are charged, commissioned with this mission, we're to be like this too. So followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, should go on their mission um, in these four ways. First, like sheep. What do you mean by that? Vulnerably. That's the point when Jesus says, I am sending you out, and that's the operative verse here, as is verse 5, sending you out. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. You're going to be very vulnerable. You're going to be open to attack, and sheep without shepherds are, are in very dangerous place with wolves around. But you're not without a shepherd. I am your shepherd, so trust me for your protection. I want you also um, to go on this mission like serpents, shrewdly. I know serpents have a bad reputation because of Genesis 3, and um, perhaps they should in many ways, and in the biblical use of serpents. However, here Jesus says, I want you to be shrewd as serpents. And so I want you to be very wise. I want you to beware of people. They're going to be after you. They're going to try to get you, and they're going to do bad things to you. So beware of men. Um, so be shrewd as serpents. But I also want you, thirdly, to be as harmless as doves. And so you are to go out harmlessly on this mission. Verse um, 23 um, to 25. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I, I got to stop on that verse. So, so many people have stumbled over it over the years. Albert Schweitzer, the more liberal uh, missionary to Africa, medical doctor also, thought Jesus was just mistaken. He thought that the second coming was going to occur um, before they had finished this short 
uh, mission to the towns and villages of Israel. I don't think he was mistaken. I don't think he was looking at that. He says so many things later. No one knows the time in which the Son of Man comes. He wasn't mistaken. He was talking about their mission to the people of Israel would not even have been completed until the Son of Man, he, the Lord Jesus, came in judgment against those people of Israel. So there's an urgency here. We need to get this message out to them um, before AD 70, when the fall of Jerusalem signals the end of a four-year war that just was devastating to Jerusalem and to the people um, of Israel. So that, I think, is what he has in mind here. And yet, uh, these people were harmless. They would just fled when they were persecuted. They just fled. They would go to the next place. They weren't supposed to take up arms and fight. They were just to be as harmless as doves. And then finally, though, they were to be as fearless as believers, as believers in something unseen, in something that they couldn't see, as Moses was in um, Hebrews chapter 11 when he's said to have endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's why we are to have no fear. I can't read these verses on fear and about fearing not without thinking of a biography of uh, Martin Luther that I really, really like. It's by Roland Baton, and it's called Here I Stand. And in that book, um, Baton says, the most intrepid revolutionary is the one who has a fear greater than anything his opponents can inflict upon him. Luther, who had so trembled before the face of God, had no fear before the face of man. These verses on fear uh, remind us that there are, these other people, our enemies, they cannot kill us finally. Uh, the verses begin, verses 26 and 27, talk about then and now. So there is a now, but there's a then too, and then we will be protected. So they can't, they can't kill us finally. Gee, only God can um, handle our eternal destiny. They can't kill us fully. Our souls are more important than our bodies, just as the then is more important than the now. And they can't kill us prematurely. You are more important than sparrows. And if a sparrow can't even fall to the ground and die without the permission of your loving Father in heaven, how much more can you not be killed prematurely? You may be killed. The body they may kill, God's truth endures still. We will still persevere, but it'll not be before our time. It'll be in God's good time for us to spill our blood along with the martyrs because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. All right, well, I'm going to then take us to our sixth and final heading, and that is the why of our mission. We've looked at who, we've looked at where, we've looked at what, we've looked at how part one, we've looked at how part two, and now we look at why in verses 30, um, 32 through um, 42. Um, I'm sorry, that doesn't sound quite right. Uh, verse 30, uh, well, yeah, 32. Okay. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life 
for my sake, will find it. We'll pause there. Uh, it's part of the why is yet to come, but this why is good enough. Why should we go on this mission? Because of the consequences of failure. If we fail to reach people with this good news concerning Jesus, that there is forgiveness of sins, there's hope for sinners, then they will die in the darkness. They will die and suffer um, the pangs of hell um, because they didn't get this message. We didn't, we didn't reach them. And so we have an urgency. We want to reach all who can be reached. We make a universal offer of the gospel to all people to come to Jesus and to find rest. But the consequences to us, if we pull back in fear and we don't engage in this mission, is that we'll seek to save our lives, but we'll lose them. And that's a horrible thought. There also is another consequence, the consequences of success, or better word, the rewards of success, which is what Jesus gives us in verses 40 to 42. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. We're hearkening back now to those other earlier verses around 11 to 15 where Jesus is talking about partnership in this mission. You know, don't pack more, just trust that you'll find other people who will support you. And if one of those people gives you even a cup of cold water because you are Jesus' disciple, that person will not fail to have his or her reward. So lots of ways that we can get our rewards, but by participating in this mission fearlessly, harmlessly, but shrewdly, um, we will, and vulnerably, like sheep, we will not fail to have a reward. There will be rewards in heaven. There will be a difference of rewards in heaven. Some will receive greater rewards than others because of their greater faithfulness, their greater um, deeds that they did. That doesn't mean there will be jealousy in heaven or there'll be envy in heaven. No, we'll all be glad just that we made it. But as 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, some will make it as though by fire. They'll barely make it by the skin of their teeth. They just built on wood and hay and stubble. They didn't build with gold and silver and precious stones, those enduring qualities of a solid ministry. And um, so they'll, they'll barely make it. They'll, their things will be burned up, but they'll be saved. But there'll be others who will be um, saved um, to greater degrees. And we should strive for the greatest degree. We want to be um, that servant who was good and faithful with what was entrusted to him. And we enter into our uh, master's joy and we'll get different uh, rewards um, based on different capacities and different things that we did. But there will be reward. That's why we want to be on this mission, because of the consequences of failure to participate and because of the rewards of success in this mission. It kind of brings us then to the conclusion of the matter. And by way of conclusion, um, I would like you to think of uh, another missionary, another hero of this, and that was Jim Elliott. And in his uh, biography written by his widow, Elizabeth Elliott, we read these words. When Jim was a college student in 1949, he wrote these words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Seven years later, on a hot Sunday afternoon, far from the dormitory room where those lines were written, he and four other young men were finishing a dinner of baked beans and carrot sticks 
They sat together on a strip of white sand on the Curare River, deep in Ecuador's rainforest, waiting for the arrival of a group of men whom they loved but had never met, savage Stone Age killers known to all the world now as Aucas. Before 4.30 that afternoon, the quiet waters of the Curare flowed over the bodies of the five comrades, slain by the men they had come to win for Christ, whose banner they had borne. The world called it a nightmare of tragedy, but the world did not recognize the truth of the second clause in Jim Elliot's credo. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Father, we pray for strength to go on mission with you, sent out by you, out into a dangerous world, but out with the protection of our good shepherd and by the Holy Spirit, whom you have sent to be with us always in all places. Father, we pray that we might both say and show the good news that is wrapped up in the coming of the kingdom of heaven. We pray that we would do it with great courage because we know that apart from the gracious permission of our Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from our heads, as the Heidelberg Catechism reminds us. In Jesus' name, our Lord, our Captain, and our Savior, in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.